This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of the Book Riot podcast is brought to you by Book Riot Insiders. Bag your bookish perks with a 14-day free trial of Book Riot Insiders. Sign up for a monthly or yearly novel subscription and the first 14 days are free. You can wishlist upcoming releases you're dying to read, get exclusive podcasts and newsletters, enter to win swag, and check out our new release index curated by fellow book rioter and all the books host Liberty Hardy. It'll help you keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. So come on in. Your bag of bookish perks is waiting. Go to bookriot.com slash insiders to find out more. That's bookriot.com slash insiders. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 290, recording on Thursday, December 6th. It's St. Nikolaus Tag for all you Germans out there. Yep, we're celebrating here. There's coal in my stocking this morning. Uh, I'm Jeff (laughs) O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hello. We're back in our regular saddle this week. Do you have special (laughs) saddles? Don't you? I mean, it's not Friday. Um... Oh, Jeff. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know enough Just about Friday? horse riding to know. Like, if, <laughs> oh, did we, we found, here's an analogy, metaphor moment that is not accessible I don't know to you, enough. I, I mean, I know enough about farming, but riding horses, uh, A, is terrible, and B, I know nothing <laughs> about it. I've been horseback riding well, twice and both times regretted it virtually immediately. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just believe that you can be fancy any day of the week. Oh, you don't I have see. To it's wait about the Friday. fancy saddle, not your everyday saddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. You know, the everyday saddle, like it's fine, mm-hmm. but you can. You know, when you when you ride your horse into church, saddle. you know, you, t- you take your horse Correct. into church. Yeah. Also, battle. Also, <laughs> I I don't know. I, now we're at the end of mine. Yeah. I see horse like the most I ever see horses is when I'm like hiking in a national park and some ranger comes by with a horse and I'm like, that's genius. Why am I using my legs? <laughs> when I can outsource legs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Show title. <laughs> Oh, oh boy! Well, so okay, we you know are. What? We are. A, we're back in our regular. Let's use a sponsor to try to corral this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no! Oh, okay, boy. Uh, <laughs> this week's episode brought to you by the Great Courses Plus. You can learn about virtually anything that interests you. I mean, maybe horseback right? horses, probably is equestrian. Go look. I'm sure there's something related to horses. Whatever you want. They give you unlimited access to stream thousands of videos, always ad-free across so many different topics. Literature, history, art, music, how to cook, take better photos. It's all right there. You know, I bet my kids and I would enjoy. We've We've been doing some rudimentary baking together and cooking which they like it's a good project after school winter time mm-hmm. it's cold it's rainy learn something new do something new you can watch from a computer tv tablet or phone just listen along with the great courses plus app check out their brand new course stories about great storytellers this is so up my alley that i don't even know what to say about it it offers a fascinating in-depth look at Raoul Dahl, A.A. Milne, J.R. Tolkien, exploring the personal stories and watershed moments in their own lives that led, to, led them to writing the beloved works that made them famous. The Tolkien story is really amazing. Um, he and C.S. Lewis and hanging out at this pub in Oxford, really fascinating stuff. A.A. Milne writing the Winnie the Pooh stories for his own son. Raoul Dahl largely doing the same thing, writing the stories with his kids in mind. An interesting guy. Uh, troubling guy in some words, really needs an N in his first name, but all really good stories in the great stories about great storytellers course, lecture, series. Um, they call it a course. I just should have put that out there. Their they're nomenclature is course. So go, go check that one out, especially if you like annotated. There's a new episode yes. out 
right now about Edna Ferber, if that name doesn't mean anything to you, you are a prime candidate for that episode. But if you like Annotated, this is a great course for you. Discover new interests and pick up new hobbies with the Great Courses Plus. Full month of unlimited access to all their lectures for the high price of $0 when you sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. Limited time only offer at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. All right. Now, Jeff... I'm gonna wait for Oh, it. okay. I'm take, I'm, sp- I'm gonna I'm gonna take the reins. <laughs> oh, you're sitting it gave you all that time to sit there. <laughs> I've been thinking about that one yeah, for a couple minutes. Right. But I am gonna take the reins because we have some intel and some updates yeah. from listeners. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kick you us go off first. there. First, uh, several weeks back when I believe when the National Book Awards were given, we were looking at The Friend by Sigrid Nunez and wondering if something bad happens to the dog yes. in the book. And wait, and spoiler couple... alert. Spoil, if you don't want to know, go fast oh, forward right. 60 seconds or something. Okay. Yes. Um, if, you are, if you are concerned about what happens to the dog, I am pleased to report, thanks to Allison, that the dog does not die. Um, she said there is reference in the book to some like sad things happening to animals, but no dogs die on the page in the book. Mm. So you can safely read the friend without having to have a Marley and me like sobbing moment, um, at least for that reason. And then we also heard from Monica in Oregon um, in reference to some of the stories we've been talking about with access to books for prisoners. And she wanted to let us and you all know that a year or so ago, she stumbled onto the prison library project at the Claremont Forum, which is in California. Um, It's a community project and they ship books to readers in prison and prison libraries free of charge. Um, They've said that the most requested book is a dictionary. They put a link on their webpage for anyone who wants to donate dictionaries. Mm. Monica did that. It took her to an Amazon page where she purchased a mass market dictionary for the project. And she said that like she just does this from time to time. You can get four or five copies for like 20 bucks. Um, so if you are interested, we'll have a link in the show notes, but you can go to claremontforum.org slash prison hyphen library hyphen project or just Google the Claremont Forum Prison Library Project. But if you're looking for, you know, a little somewhere yeah. to do some philanthropy or some giving for the holidays and you care about getting books um, to prisoners, this is a great one to check out. And thank you to Monica in Oregon. Again, that's the Claremont Forum's Prison Library Project. I'm really glad to know about that. I guess, is it a regression to the mean that the dictionary is the most requested thing? Like people just need dictionaries. I'm suddenly fascinated about what is the use? Um, Are they reading other things that they need a dictionary for? Are they just wanting to improve themselves? And so they're thumbing through the dictionary. Like what's going on there? I did some uh, letting my brain just make up a story about this. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm here for this. And the story that I am telling is that a lot of prisoners are working on, they're trying to figure out their own legal cases, you know, or they're Uh, studying, they're like going through, um, not legal dictionary, but through like case law, essentially. And this is like, I am fresh off having watched the new season of Making a Murderer (laughs) not so long ago. So I will like, this is where my information is mostly coming from. Uh, But I do believe it's not uncommon for them to be, you know, either just trying to study up on subjects Mm. or going through um, handling legal documents. And I believe that a dictionary would probably be extremely useful in in that case. I want that to be true because it makes a lot of sense. Having dealt very... um, Tendentially with legal documents, you know, wills and starting a business. It is mm-hmm. it is not easy sledding to get through those things. No. Um, so I can imagine there that that makes so a lot of sense. So that's my story. Okay. I've got follow up. I told you I was going to spring Ooh. it up on you uh, just because it's more fun this way because it's little mm-hmm. birdie stuff. Oh, it's little birdie follow up. Okay. So a uh, little birdie that's a little birdied to us before, but this person right. um, works in talent acquisitions in the publishing industry. Okay. And she you know, one of her tasks is to work on her employer's diversity in hiring. And so she just had some notes, uh, you know, feedback from things said about, especially the PW salary survey, which most recently, Mm -hmm. um, you know, affirming some of what we said, pushing back is not quite the right word, but like, I guess, contextualizing some of other other comments. She thinks that people are more open to diversity than before in her workplace. Um, Mm. They've updated some of their ads. I'm not going to name the publisher or the person because this is 
kind of insider That's baseball. That's a little birdie's little work. work. Um, so a couple of things that have changed about not requiring college experience necessarily. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Paying interns at all more, changing overtime that starts earlier, like the the lower okay. threshold for overtime, and then you know different kinds of events to go to places where they hadn't gone historically to find candidates. I'm being a little circumspect here because I don't want to do identifying <laughs> sorts of things, right? Um, also, you know, for and that's pipeline. So that's all more pipeline stuff. Getting people in earlier into the career. Um, the challenge is that it takes time because, you know, you get promoted up through the ranks to get to the top. And so one thing also a lot of publishers are working on is hiring people from outside of publishing. So you can, you can kind of, you can get people, um, from marginalized communities or identities up the hiring ladder, not by hiring through publishing because there aren't like middle level people there ready or, or sort of upper middle management, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But you can go get people from other, um, industries that have executive experience that maybe have been more open or for whatever reason, not have the kind of same barriers to institutional history of publishing to get there though. Sometimes though you got to know books to get there. So it can be difficult, but kind of reaffirming that there's a pipeline problem, but step zero is making sure there are people in junior levels that can be promoted in Mm -hmm. to the higher level stuff. Um, yeah, so th- I think that's 20, t- 20 or 10 or 20 years ago, trying mm-hmm. to find out, you know, that people weren't getting the door then, but now are, you know, in their mid-40s, their upper, you know, early 50s, in line to get C-suite or VP-level jobs. Mm-hmm. Interesting to come up there. So I, I guess I guess, I, I guess the question for you is, does that sound right to you? Does that make you feel better, worse, that you're the same, this is what you're expecting to happen? What do you think about this kind of... I mean, it's, I think it's always nice to have context and to uh-huh. hear about what the experience is actually like since we're not, you know, we're not in there. We're just looking at the numbers. It does make sense that these kinds of changes, like they take time and they happen over long periods of time. And so like, some of the upper echelons of publishing are becoming much more female. And those were people who were hired probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have been sort of movement at the time probably to be hiring more women into uh, into the lower rungs of the industry and now like after 20 years they're at a place for promotion so i guess some of it too is is recognizing that these things take time and like these results on the publisher's weekly survey are not likely to look really right. different over the next couple of years but like maybe the survey in 2028 will look really different from the way that it looks now and we'll be able to really to see the accumulated progress like that's easy to lose sight of is accumulated progress when you're just looking from one year to the next like what if we had had this data 10 years Mm -hmm. ago and we could look at the if we could look at the 2008 data and then put it against the 2018 data maybe there's already been movement um it's interesting to yeah i think the similar thing i would think kind of like we think about with um representation in in the um the books and authors being published is what's our benchmark, right? right? Our benchmark, one benchmark that I use is does the people being published and the, the books being published represent kind of the people in America, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the demographics there. Well, until we get there, we've still got a lot of work to do. And I'm not saying once we're there, we clap our hands and done. You could overrepresent for a while and other things like that. I don't even sure that overrepresenting is a real phenomenon, but I don't think that's a thing, but for like in 2028, what should it look or like what at what year, given all if we're doing if we're pushing all the right buttons now, let's say that we are in publishing hiring, I'm throwing mm-hmm. myself into the mix. By what time would it be reasonable to expect real change to happen in terms of being hiring? And I don't know the answer to that question. Is it really a 10 or 20 year process? Well, I guess it depends on how drastically you're willing to change your hiring processes, right? right? Like one way to get a lot more of members of any group into the door is to focus on hiring, you know, almost exclusively Mm -hmm. those those people. Um, So you could say, you know like theoretically a business could say we're really going to make an emphasis on hiring people of color this year and in the case where candidates are essentially even defaulting to hiring the person of color um there are like you you could do that and you could try to you know have i don't know 
the majority of your hires mm-hmm. for the next several years be people of color or people from other underrepresented groups. And that would stack the decks. If it's like the thing that I kind of suspect is happening is like, well, we're paying attention and we're trying. Yeah. Um, but like when when someone who is from an underrepresented group applies and is a good candidate, we consider that person and we hire them. But there might not be any any other like additional structural element given to that. So it still counts on, you know, hoping that those applications come in the door in the first place. Like you could you could go to campus groups and actively try to recruit people um, mm-hmm. from like the LGBTQ community or from underrepresented racial groups and, you know, try to seek their applications. Like that would be one way to juice it. So I, I think it depends on how active versus how passive companies are willing to be about their hiring processes. My sense of it is that it's relatively passive, but it's something that people are at least paying some attention to. And it's in that because of going in the direction of what gets measured, gets managed um, in a way that it hadn't really that no one had really been paying attention to it previously. Yeah, this little birdie does mention that they're doing different kinds of campus recruitment, going to different kinds of places, Mm. approaching a little bit differently. So that's, you know, that you mentioned, I I wanted I couldn't read the whole email. But another thing is like, what are the internal goals? Like are like mm-hmm. to to pick up on is what it you just said, mo- right? Is it just like let's do better, yeah. which is really hard, or is it let's increase by ten percent this year and ten percent next year? Or yeah, and I guess it's also a question of like how uncomfortable are people willing to be in their mm-hmm. hiring, right? Yeah. Like how, are, taking a chance. How, how many chances are you willing to take? How outside? Because I'm that's that's all discomfort laden, right? Like it's mm-hmm. also. The publishing has its own systemic problem, but it also exists within the larger systemic problem of American right. hiring. So right. like, can they do, how much more can you do in the system you're in? Well, you can't fix the system you're in necessarily. So like there is, there is a limit on it to some mm-hmm. degree, right? Yeah. So I think, I mean, this is an interesting sort of segue mm-hmm. into our yes. next, the next item on the agenda. But there's a section in Michelle Obama's book where she talks about getting her first job out of law school at a very well-respected firm in Chicago, and that this firm tended to hire people out of the elite law schools, out of yeah. Harvard and Princeton and Stanford, you know, out of Ivy Leagues. Um, and that out of hundreds of lawyers in this firm, there were just a handful of black people, including her. And that one of the things that she wanted to emphasize because she was involved in some of the hiring was getting more people of color in the door. And one of the sort of battles that she had to fight in order to do that was convincing the partners of the firm that they were never going to meet that goal yeah. if they just kept going to the same places. Um, so consider hiring someone who went to a, one of the historically black colleges um, for law school. Mm-hmm. Consider hiring someone who went to a smaller school that you don't think is as fancy, but they will bring you know, other valuable perspective mm-hmm. and skills. And they may be just as good of a lawyer with just as good of an education as the Harvard Business School or Harvard Law School lawyers. But Harvard Law School at the time wasn't taking a whole lot of black students and black students often didn't have access to the kind of financial means they would need to be able to support themselves through law school at that time. And I think publishing needs to look at, um, needs to look at making those same kinds of considerations. Like we've talked a lot about the unpaid internships mm. or the, the like low level editorial jobs in publishing that, um, that the pay is low enough that you either would have to be working several jobs mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to survive on that pay in New York city, or if you can live full time, like, or work just that one full time job and live on that in New York, it's, probably with the help of family um, and with some generational wealth. Mm -hmm. And we all know how generational wealth tends to skew in this country. Um, So some of it too is about, you know, paying people fair salaries. We, you and I both know, and I bet industry folks listening to this show all know several people who like worked full time for a publisher. were also freelancing at night. We're also babysitting on the weekends. Um, It's just not often sustainable as a, as an entry level job. And that's a thing that needs to change. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true is that systemic change is, is painful for the people within the system that are benefiting Mm -hmm. from the system the way that is. And I think one, you know, one quick non- metric it's not a metric check is if you're doing enough in one of these situations Mm -hmm. do you feel uncomfortable a lot of the time doing it because if you don't you're probably not doing enough yet you're not there yet Mm. you're not having to change your thinking um have different 
metrics or guidelines or requirements? You know, how much is your system bending, breaking, reformulating to account for a different kind of workforce? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's an interesting way of thinking. It sounds like there's a lot going on. It's hard to know. Um, like, are there short-term goals, longer-term goals, percentage goals, raw number goals? Yeah, it's fascinating to yeah. hear this this amount of thing going on. It does take time. Um, but I, I wonder, too, like, yeah, it just, and I think your thought, your thought experiment of, like, in 20 years, Mm-hmm. what looks like progress? Is it there? I mean, is it reasonable to ask that it looks more like America writ large in that time? And if yes, well, then do that. And if no, what is reasonable in the amount right. of time? Or, you know, slightly unreasonable. I'm okay asking for slightly unreasonable myself. Yeah, and that's really the question that I have. So if you are a birdie in publishing mm-hmm. who would have access to this information, is, are there even goals? Or is yeah. it just a vague, let's do better? Right, yeah. Because you can always feel like you did better. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you can do one, one thing and be like, well, I did this one right. good thing and that's better, right? It's You can let yourself off the hook pretty easily with just do better. Well, the book world um, gave you a Christmas present. Oh, it did. And my heart is so happy um, because Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming, is already the best-selling book of 2018. It was just released on November 13th. And in this piece from November 30th, um, based on the book scan data, Penguin Random House was announcing that it was the best-selling book of the year. Mm. Across all formats, it has sold more than 2 million copies in the U.S. and Canada. And that this is this information is six days old now. Um, six days old when we're looking at it, about a week old, more than a week old by the time y'all are hearing it. And it currently had 3.4 million mm. hardcover copies in print. So they've got some more to sell. Um, And I'm just very excited. I had said I wanted to see a positive book and not one about the president be the best-selling book of the year. And I'm very happy. I am glad. (laughs) I'm, as I said, when you were hoping, I said, I don't know. There's Mm -hmm. not enough time, blah, blah. Well, I was dead freaking wrong. I mean, Mm -hmm. it sold... Hotcakes. Michelle doesn't. We have to say, she don't need much time. We don't. We, can, we have to change the saying. We can't say it sells like hotcakes anymore. It sells like becoming. Like that's the new cliche because <laughs> that's a lot of books and all two million. It it's been like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. And I guess Crown she, knew what they were. I'm. A, how surprised oh, is yes. Crown? Are they surprised? Is it, they, they no. gave him a huge sixty-five she million so, dollar. She is so popular and so beloved. Like, I don't think Crown is surprised. Also, an indication that Crown is not surprised is that they had enough books in print. Well, that's... You know, like, like it didn't... Oh, like, they didn't undershoot yeah. what, you know, what the print run should be on this. I think that they knew and that they're, it was very smart to give the advances on these books that they gave. But, like, just from... I think we know from data about... presidential candidates and presidents and their wives and like family popularity that Michelle Obama is very popular, but she remains very popular and beloved like the, um, and granted I was in a very skewed audience when I was in like at her speaking event a couple of weeks ago, but the, um, so the fervor, like the depth of love that people have for her and the way that they talk about her being their forever first lady. Um, it feels very enduring, um, in a, like in a way that, you don't often see with celebrities and that it's like entirely positive. <laughs> you know, there's it's not amazing. Like people. It's really, it really is something. Um, so I'm very happy for her and also happy for the state of the world. that yeah. This is going to be the best selling book of the year. Some context um, link in the show notes where this comes from. Um, Hillary Clinton's first memoir, living history needed a month to sell a million. George W. Bush's decision points took several weeks to reach two. Bill Clinton's My Life quickly sold 1 million, but took far longer to hit 2 million. So she's ahead of any mm-hmm. recent sort of comp, which is fascinating. Now, is Barack looking at his manuscript and looking at Michelle's sales and going, huh? Huh? I wonder. Oh. I wonder. Like, I bet they have a friendly competition. Oh, going I'm about sure. This. They seem like <laughs> they've got friendly competitions. They seem like they have that kind of relationship. But as, I mean, what. <laughs> Is Barack's going to sell more? I mean, he has a couple books out, which that's maybe mm-hmm. a confounding factor is if people wanted a Barack book, they got a couple to choose from already. Whereas with Michelle, you didn't have one yet. Right. And I think it will largely depend on what 
his book ends yeah. up being about. You know, Michelle, um, like this is her life story. The book tracks from her childhood all the way up through, and in a relatively linear fashion, uh-huh. all the way up through their years in the White House and even what it was like on Inauguration Day um, and just a little bit of like how life has been since then. And so like, I think that if Barack, like if, if it comes out and it's like Barack gets real about the state yeah. of the world in 2018, he's going to have a fighting chance at these kind of numbers that Michelle has. But if this is like Barack Obama's 400 page, um, if if this is Barack in like professorial Mm. mode about, you know, politics and progress, there's an audience for that. Um, And certainly probably a fairly excited one that includes me of like the Pod (laughs) Save America kind of listener, but it's not, it's not going to be as popular. Michelle has the, um, the benefit here of being popular and people are really interested in her life. Like she has not made her life story a thing up until now. Um, So getting to hear like her voice and sort of the inside of like, what was this like? And what was this other thing like? And she's just very real. So I think it it's going to come down to, to like, is this professor Obama mm. or are we getting like, you know, Bar- what Barack would say to you hanging out? Yeah. On right. Is it, is it like more of a tell all the wrong word, but behind the scenes, or is it called like, right. Born a wonk by Barack Obama? Right. Like something because he, he has both right, of those books like a, in him, right? Like you're right. It's right. Own, yeah. 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 He does happen. like, with a forward by Nate Silver or yeah, something. Right. Yeah, George, uh, Henry Kissinger writes the forward, right. something like. Can we talk briefly yeah. about the packaging for becoming? I've been it's sure. all over the place, so I've been I found it very interesting. Uh huh. Tell me. I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not trying to cause. I'm not. Don't want to cause trouble. I just want to think about it because it's. You compare it. I was looking at the covers of these other books that that they're using as comps, mm, and mm-hmm. it's like. Even even Hillary Clinton's living history is sort of black and white and her in a black turtleneck sort of like thinking, sort of a Rodin sort of thinker pose at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Whereas the cover of Becoming is colorful. It's flowy. It's like it's like could be the cover of like Cosmo, right? Yeah. And it's called think... Becoming. It's just an interesting difference. Yeah. I wonder if it's actually a comp to these other books. It's kind of what I'm getting at a little bit. Oh, yeah. I don't think it is actually a comp to those other books. Like, I've read Living History, and I read what happened. And I was looking at Becoming this morning because it's on my bookshelves right next to what happened. And they're both faced out. I was like, it's so interesting that what happened is just big text. And Becoming is Michelle Obama's beautiful face. And they're different. These are different books. Mm -hmm. What happened is, like, they're both memoirs. But what happened is... A largely political analysis, but through Hillary Clinton's like just very articulate voice. And that book is a compelling read. Becoming is like they have packaged Michelle Obama. Yes. Like she is the Michelle Obama is the product yeah. of for becoming. And in a way that like Hillary Clinton is not the product for what happened. People wanted her ideas about like to hear from her, but it wasn't like Hillary, come, let's go to Soul Cycle together. Yeah. People feel this relationship to Michelle Obama and like this connection. And I think that Crown has very wisely capitalized on that connection that people feel and put her front and center mm-hmm. there. It's just fascinating to look at the covers because uh, I was comparing to mm-hmm. living history. I didn't even think of comparing to what happened, which is like basically erasing Hillary Clinton as having a body, right? It's just text on mm-hmm. the cover of the book. Yeah. Where Michelle mm-hmm. Obama, like she's sitting... I don't know. I can't, she's she's has her hands. She has her hand under her chin, but she's got this big smile, a very flowy dress. Looks like they've got the fan on in the studio. Mm-hmm. To, and you can, you know, she's crossing her. She's either crossing her legs, but she has. You can see her whole body. Like it's just a yeah. fascinating difference. I mean, and she's done up, and she's a beautiful woman. It's just a very fascinating difference to look at like mm-hmm. George W. Bush's decision points. It's like, are they really right. comps? It made me wonder. Like I can understand of course why yeah. you would compare them. Right. But on the I other hand they they're not. They're they're just they're not. not. They're not comps. And she talks in the book about that moment of recognition at some point in Barack's political career that like now she was part of the product. Yeah. And how, what a you know how hard that is to get your head around it and what it is to just be aware of like you know that every bit of your appearance is going to be analyzed all the time how strange it is that you have to like have your makeup done just for everyday things but she's she's also a very smart woman and i think knows how to you know knows how to use Mm -hmm. that and she figured out the ways that 
sort of you know, fans and followers of that administration connected to her. Like there were the event, um, which I saw her in Washington, D.C., was like, like a, it was not um, it was not really off the cuff. Like it was a very well produced mm-hmm. book talk, essentially. Like I've seen this same thing in bookstores for the last decade where the author is in conversation with someone who's familiar with the work or familiar with them. Um, but this was just on a bigger stage um, and it hit many of the major beats of information that's in the book. There was a little like off the cuff stuff, but not a whole lot. And then there were video packages in between oh, really? and the video pack. Yeah. And the video packages were things like, you know, the interviewer and it was Valerie Jarrett in DC asking her about, um, you know, you spent a lot of time emphasizing the importance of higher education and kids going to college. And the video package showed a music video that she had made mm. with some rapper about like, if you want to have knowledge, go to college. Oh, if you want to watch no. a grass grow, don't go to college. But it was funny. Yeah. Like it's, you know, she has such a really good sense of like, you know, letting herself be silly um, and that people connect to that. And like the, the history of mom dancing stuff that she yeah. did with Jimmy Fallon, like that was one of the video packages. And like, she's aware too, oh, I think yeah. of, she's an active participant and a very canny one in, um, in how to capitalize off all of this. Both of know? both, both Obamas are probably, maybe without parallel practitioners of studied nonchalance, right? Of Mm -hmm. being able to seem and maybe be genuine, but with a practiced quality where they know, they know exactly what off the cuff thing is going to happen to some degree. I think like you're not going to get, you know, the, it isn't going to come out with them. Like even, even their breeziness is, calculated cultivated um we were you know jen and i went to jen and amanda mm-hmm. and i all went to the event together and we were talking about it afterwards because they brought barack out like as a surprise at the end of this event and it was cool to see them on stage together but she had spent some time talking very glowingly about him and their relationship and he comes out and he like he spent his entire 10 minutes on stage talking about how amazing sure. michelle obama is so he was not like stealing her thunder at all but it was like you know i met her and she's so tall and most of it is legs mm-hmm. and they have this like they have this chemistry that that seems genuine and admirable but also like they're working with yeah you know and how do you we were talking afterwards about like how do you balance this as someone who appreciates them and is consuming Mm -hmm. what they're selling like i'm picking up what they're putting down yeah that's right (laughs) but but to know they're putting it down consciously is it's interesting to think about and the packaging is interesting for sure um anyway well that was a fun just i mean it's the book of the year all of a sudden here at the end it it came in like a Mm -hmm. late charging horse to get back to our equestrian analogies and it's you know running away with a thing Mm -hmm. um i have it on audio i'm looking forward to i haven't gotten into it yet i've been off audiobooks recently i don't know why me too. Weird. That's strange. Mm. Uh, that where I'm, I'm off the agenda. I'm looking at covers of old presidential bios here. <laughs> Ten best books of the year, New York Times. You know, this is, we've said this before, this is the most influential list of the year. Probably as, if not more influential than the NBA uh, National Book Award shortlist, I would say. Oh, yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess the thing to keep in, it's also, we could have picked this out of a hat of like 20 books. I think Um, the educated continues its run as Mm -hmm. the most listed book of 2018 for, for best books of the year. I think so. Um, Let's see. American prison is here again. There, there is here again. Mm -hmm. The great believers. Yeah. Uh, How to change your mind by Michael Pollan is here. I really liked that book, but I was surprised to see it make it up this high yeah. into the rankings. For And it's a huge book. It's like a 600-page book about microdosing and taking drugs. Mm. And I was like, re- like, maybe the New York Times readership is you know, funkier than I know, but <laughs> I'm, I think I'm surprised. that that's exactly the kind of book. It's like a big, <laughs> it's like, remember, people reading the Times now are all ex-hippies. That's true. You gotta remember That's true. what we're, right, we're dealing right. with here. I was gonna say, like, is it like now I have an intellectual interest in what it's like no, to do mushrooms? No, no, you no, know? No, I don't think that's it. I think I actually <laughs> the did big them. Freddy, 
<laughs> yeah, the big Frederick Douglass bio is on here. Um, and Small Fry by Lisa Brennan Jobs, which I've heard a lot about, but uh, haven't picked up yet. You know, I have list. to put it in here. You, you, probably won't, you probably won't be able to see this. Did you see Bill Gates' YouTube video about his five favorite reads of the year? No, we usually talk about those. Okay, so I'm going to Google it real quick, and I'm going to put in the link in the show okay. notes, and you'll have to watch it some other time because his picks were great. Educated's on here, like it's stuff, we, bad blood, mm-hmm. but the YouTube but, video he made, I've got uh-huh. so many questions about why, <laughs> what it is, so... It's set up where he's got here. I'll send a link. I'm going to send you a link in Slack to the Time article. Maybe you can just start playing it while I while I um, okay. pontificate or otherwise boggle about it. Is okay. So the books, the books themselves, interesting. Very daddy, very dad plus books. You know, I, I, I approve. They're right in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. as well. Dad, dad plus books. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> But the video he made to go alongside it, which you have to find in that Time article, is... Oh, my God. He's in a buffalo plaid flannel shirt. So he's shirt. in a flannel shirt, and he's got this, like, old wood-sided Jeep Wagoneer, like the 80s one. You, you all know what it is. It's like an on every uh-huh. L.L. Bean ad you've ever seen. Yep. I'm looking and at it right now. he's driving through what is a custom Christmas lights display... That uh-huh. is all with of, the giant book covers, and then some of the light displays are what? related to the topics in the book. So you get the bad blood at the How? end. There's a giant How light much up money syringe did this cost? with blood <laughs> oh dripping, like a lit up blood <laughs> dripping is, out of it. This is bananas. And he's each and he and at the end he has this custom license plate that switches from mystery to elf and what the jeep itself has christmas lights on it yeah he's like decked out there was just a map of the united states with little like shifting eyeballs yeah it's it is a what how did they come up with this who made it how much does it cost why is he doing this there's a book about meditate. He's talking about meditation. Yeah. I feel like maybe I'm on mushrooms right now. Like I, no, because this, this is a macro dose situation to watch this. <laughs> it, it, I watched it. I'm like, what is? And he's talking about the books to like someone in the passenger seat, but they're right. not. You don't see them. He's not talking to yeah, the camera. Like, right. He's talking about like 20 fun lessons for the 21st century by Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah, it is a wild document is, that I have. I mean, oh my goodness, I need Jeff. I need a director's cut commentary. Like, who made this? Did he involved in it? Why is he doing this? How much it cost? All the questions. Just oh I'm my. just going to ask him over and over again. It is as we- it's it's actually not. It's not like sort of overtly weird. Like it's not a. It's, it's just, just so. It's unexpected. It's, it is like it's not weird until you really start. Yes, thinking that's about exactly it. right. Like yes. until you start thinking about like wow, someone. Well, I'm. Uh, that was a whole thing I just watched. Um, like, wow, somebody spent a lot of time building these giant book covers and yes. all the little light-up elements related to them. And then Bill Gates d- drove a car through this whole display. Like, also, where did they build yes, this? I'm sure is this, this is in like, his estate somewhere. Right. Is this just like in Bill Gates' backyard? Yes. And he's he was like, here's what we're going to do for best books of the year. Like, I will say that, um, you know, <laughs> like, this is better than the blog posts that he writes. The production values fun. are fantastic. Like, it's like he said he was watching comedians and getting cars, getting coffee. Goes, I want to do that with Christmas yes. lights for my end of the year thing. And Prim's like, Bill, and about books. we're going to do it. All right. <laughs> you know what? Look, if you've got, he clearly has, he's, look, he's got the, the most, he's got the best financed booktube channel of all time. True story. That's what it is. That's what it feels like, right? It does. It's like a, it's a weird stunt. Yeah. I love it. Like, oh, I love this, it. I, I should say, right. I, I love, love it too. Yes. I love it. Like, I, well, I think a thing that we share a fondness for is people nerding out yes. about the things that they nerd out over. Like, there's just something beautiful about that and beautiful about like the level of F's that Bill Gates does not have to give. No. That he's like, that he's like, yeah, I'm Bill Gates and I'm going to do this. Like, get me the Woody wagon and put some freaking lights on it and let's get a job. <laughs> And let's do a night shoot in the business. winter in Washington. I assume it's maybe it's on a Warner Brothers lot for all I know. I don't know. It's great. Over under on the production budget. Oh, 20 grand. Oh, Rebecca. It has to be more than that. You think it's just a bunch of Christmas lights. 
Is it the custom syringe Christmas lights? Well, that's true. Okay, 50 grand? I don't know. How much does a custom syringe Christmas thing cost? That, if you have to ask the question, it's way more than you can imagine. You just said custom <laughs> syringe Christmas lights. And they know the they're invoicing time. Bill Gates. It's the first time those words have ever been combined uh, in right. that order. I mean, I love it. I mean, this is the YouTube video. I, this is the YouTube video you make if you've got a billion dollars yeah, or nothing and better just, to do. Or like, you know, you've got... And you love books you lo- and you're like, this will be fun. It's incredible. Please go, please go watch this and shoot me an email please. about... I actually thought about writing a post for the first time in a million years about like <laughs> the 10 questions I have about Bill Gates's youtube video <laughs> maybe i will still write you know, it sometimes uh, sometimes our coworker clint will see something so funny yes. online that he'll call me and he'll say i'm going to send you a link <laughs> and we're going to press start at the same time because <laughs> <laughs> he wants it to feel like we're watching it no. together so that we can both react to it and he can like you know see on his screen what i'm reacting to on my screen and it we've done this now for seven and a half years and it is funny Every time. And I think the next time Bill Gates or someone yes. does a thing like this, we should do that I on the like show. It. We'll just we'll just press start at the same time. People who are listening can pause, they can find the video, they can press start at the same time. It'll be <laughs> like when you're trying to match up the Wizard of Oz with Dark Side. That's of the right. Moon. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Maybe for our next insider Slack convo, we'll play this and we can all all the all of us can watch it together in the Slack or something oh, like that. This is really very it's what a gift. It is. We, the <laughs> gifts just keep on giving. Uh this week let's do another sponsor and then let's I'm let's let's get so out of delighted. here yeah so we have man we have missed a few uh a few things i gotta tell you about our next sponsor this mm-hmm. week um speaking of gifts that keep on giving so bombas is back they are amazing socks i'm wearing them right now thanks to two years of research and development and multiple improvements in their design performance and comfort bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They're definitely the most comfortable socks in the history of my two feet. They have an arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most and a cushioned footbed that's reinforced for comfort without added bulkiness. They feel like a hug around your foot and they do have this um, like beehive honeycomb pattern that hugs right around the center of your foot. It also has stay up technology in the cuffs of the socks to make sure that your socks stay in place but they don't leave a mark which is also excellent and they're super soft cotton material so you never want to take them off. Whether you're a runner, a power walker or a power lounger that's my team Mm. there is a pair of bombas that'll add comfort to your life and actually like i've worn bombas no-show socks with my chucks all summer i wear their like low-rise athletic socks with my uh, trail runners i have worn their hiking like taller athletic hiking socks with my hiking boots i've worn some bombuses in like most of the situations in my life and they are just extremely comfortable i'm so glad to have them in my life and they're colorful like you can get you know boring black socks if you want to but they have fun colors and patterns to choose from i just love them so if you want to love your socks as well or if you're looking for some socks to put in some stockings this holiday season go to bombas.com slash book riot and use the code book riot to get 20 percent off your first order that's b-o-m-b-a-s dot com slash book riot code is book riot and you'll get 20 percent off your first order so thanks to bombas keep your feet happy people as you know um my family and i and Kyle, shout out to Kyle, went to Disney on Thanksgiving Day, Disneyland. Yes. And I made sure I had a clean pair of Bombas for that day. Perfect. Because I, I knew I had 14 hours of standing and walking around. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my uh, testimony. The little that. extra cushioning, it makes it a difference. It does make a difference. This would have been our lead story two weeks ago, last week, if we did it this. Was- and it just got, because, and probably we should have led with it today. But you know what? It's our show. We can do what we want. Uh, Margaret Atwood mm-hmm. writing a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, which I should have seen coming, and I just didn't think mm-hmm. about it. It's, I was surprised, and then immediately totally not surprised. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's coming out September of next year. So I guess it's... It's called it, The Testament. It's probably done been writ, uh, writ at this point, I would guess. I would think so. You know, called The Testaments, it's set 15 years after the final seed of The Handmaid's Tale. It will be published um, September 10th, 2019 by Doubleday. Announced first printing, mm-hmm. 50, 
500,000 yeah. copies. I don't know if I feel like that's high or low. I think it's a little low. Feels a little um, low. Feels a little low. The imp- interestingly, it's not connected to the television adaptation of the Handmaid's Tale, which departs from the book even in the first season and is now headed into its third season. Um, but the cultural significance—I'm reading yeah. um, straight from the piece here—of the work as a symbol of the movement against Donald Trump began shortly after his election. And Nantalise, um, who's publishing the book, said that it stands for female empowerment and resistance in the face of misogyny and the rolling back of women's rights around the world. And Nantalise has been publishing Margaret Atwood since 1976, so they've been working together for a long time. I'm just surprised we didn't get the announcement about this sooner, because like you, I suspect that this book has already been turned in and is in the production design process, like to publish it in nine months. Um, I'm surprised that we didn't hear this when the deal got made. Um, Maybe they wanted the firm release date. Maybe yeah, so, maybe so. A, um, but that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm not surprised at all. People have connected to this book in a lot of ways and wondered what would come next. There's a lot of interest around it. It was a bestseller again when the show came out. So even though it's not connected to the show, there's renewed attention mm. around this story that Margaret Atwood is telling. Um, I'm sure it'll be I, fascinating. It just, yeah. I mean, it, it makes, that's a hard act be, to follow. Re- well, and you know, not um, for nothing. She has received a fair amount of criticism in the last few years because um, like the show sort of brings to light that the, like the show has a more diverse cast yeah. than the book yes. did. And which brings to light through our, you know, contemporary lens that the book, which was published in the eighties um, ignores people of color largely and ignores the existence of folks who are not straight. Mm -hmm. Um, And those people under the rule of Gilead in the book would have suffered even more and would have had different experiences and different stories. And so I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of attention going to be that will be paid to Mm -hmm. what happens in this follow up. And will, will she take some sort of corrective measures to move, to progress, Mm -hmm. you know, and bring the, the lens of the story up in line with where we are now. And it'll be 2019 then. Um, that's the thing that I like, that's the one really open question I yeah. have about this. I wonder if she's nervous. I bet she's not, but I think she should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. Um, that, I mean, the front runner for the most anticipated book of next year, I would say, I don't have mm-hmm. another one that would be. Oh, the, the Colson Whitehead novel. Yeah. I mean, but it doesn't have, it doesn't have he doesn't have Handmaid's Tale that's sequel true. juice. That's he does. I'm exci- that's I'm excited true. for that book. And maybe among like literary people I don't know. This is like this breaks out into mainstream literary fiction, you fiction know, readers. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction. I think especially because the criticism of her has come from literary yeah. people that like the literary community paying attention to this will be less excited than the commercial reader who picks up the follow-up to The right. Handmaid's Tale off of a front table at Barnes & Noble. Right. Well, like, I mean, the book club crowd that are hugely mm-hmm. influential, way more mm-hmm. likely to pick up this than a new whitehead. Some will. Some book clubs will. But on the on the whole, this is, they, they have the book, they have the experience, they tend to be women. There's there's a lot of things that go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not to judge one or the other. I I, I Please don't at me about like <laughs> saying book clubs have worse taste. I don't think they do at all. It's just different. It's a different kind of taste. Yep. It's a different and, audience. And the audience is way bigger for, for book club um, books, uh, books that are more, I don't know, amenable, selectable uh, by mm-hmm. book clubs. B- good Barnes & Noble news? Should we end there with the, 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 the burying sure. the lead? I guess it's good. Is this good? I don't. I, I don't I, Who I, knows anymore? Parade of shruggies. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> Um, this was dates on these things. We're now two weeks old because we, we mm-hmm. had other shows. So maybe some of you've heard about this already. Um, conference call about second quarter results, blah, 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 that they plan to open 10 to 15 new stores in the calendar year 2019. The most aggressive store opening schedule in years. Um, new outlet in Staten Island, which is another concept store. They, I think there's a little... Publishers Weekly Confusion. Mm-hmm. It's not an outlet store like BNN Outlet, which is an interesting idea, actually. That is. But mm-hmm. I think they just mean it's a new store, which is the fourth of these new concept format stores. Um, 
they're all slightly different, so they can see which one does better. Little confounding factors there. Doesn't the location matter? Fascinating to know yep. how they would do this. Maybe, sure maybe not enough. Like if they're going to put it everywhere, any difference is meaningful. Um, but I thought that was notable for all the talk we've done that maybe a little bit of a worm turning, at least in maybe? the headcount mm-hmm. um, column for Barnes & Noble. Fascinating to see that yeah, there. Let's, uh, let's end with a hero oh, of the okay, week. Oh, okay, yeah, let's always do she this. She was actually a hero of the week of Thanksgiving, which was perfect. Mm-hmm. The longest-serving employee in Baltimore is a librarian who's been on the job for 56 wow. years. Mm -hmm. In her time working for Baltimore's Enoch Pratt Free Library System, Sadia Witt has seen 10 mayoral inaugurations, five library administrations, thousands of book acquisitions, and countless technological changes. She's 77 now. She's been doing this since her 20s. The average city employee has 13.4 years on the job, and she has been there for 56 years years. Wow. Um, and there's just a wonderful profile of her in the Washington Post. Um, I think we lose sight of librarians as being a kind of civil yeah. servant. Yeah, we do. And this is a wonderful reminder of the folks who are out there like doing the work every day for decades to make access to books and reading and now you know, information and technology available to everyone in their communities. Um, please check it out. It will do your heart good. And congratulations to Sadia Witt on just a life of really excellent service and librarianing. I mean, also not a bad gig, buying books for the library. That's a, I can right. see why she wants to stick around. She's earned it. No but kidding. That's a pretty it fun, would be fun. That'd be fun. Um, um. Yeah. Before we wrap up, next week is going to be our year in oh, review yes. show, right? And I will be doing the annual scrolling back through a year's mm. worth of podcast agendas to put together you know, everyone's favorite, the turkey of the year, and any other outstanding stories. Hero but of if the you year, have turkey of the year. hero of the year, turkey of the year, um, if you have. If there's memorable things mm. from this year in publishing that we've talked about on the show that you you think should have, you know, should be in contention for this year in review show, shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com, and we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens. Then I think that's our last like newsy show of the year. The last week we're going to do our yeah. other other things we loved this Stocking year. Stocking stuffers. Episode. Yeah. Sundry and miscellany. Um, favorite things from 2018. <laughs> you can find links to all the stories we talked about this week in the show notes of your in your podcast catcher or at bookriot.com slash listen. You can navigate to the Book Riot podcast page there. If you've got a minute and want to review and rate the show on iTunes, that would be wonderful. Uh, just in case you know, it goes from one to five, and five is the best. I'm saying five <laughs> is the best. Rebecca. Jeff. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one.